Bible is already relevant. How do we make it so that it's also relevant in their language? And that's a huge question that comes up regularly in our training to produce a translation that they feel confident is natural, is relevant to their community. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Richard Rudowski. And I'm Emily Wilson. And as you know, we are in the More Than Words comprehensive campaign for Scripture Impact. And we had Ruthie Wagner and Ishni Vite on the podcast talking about that God's Word is more than words. And we are working alongside local leaders, ministry entrepreneurs to launch Bible translation movements right where they are. So being able to see how three new language community programs are emerging, but then also continuing on with uh, an existing Bible translation program and seeing how there is an information resource learning explosion happening there. Yeah, it was really a great interview. We've got Ruthie and Ishni, and they both were on the same trip, but doing some parallel activities. And Ruthie is focused on the Karewe Language Project. Um, That's an existing, ongoing project that was our first partnership with the Lutheran Church in Tanzania, their east of Lake Victoria diocese. And so that's been uh, established for a number of years, but um, as they've continued to to work and grow and learn, they they continue to build their capacity, and Ruthie is an ongoing partner with them in that. She's based in the United States and doing some innovative things um, to reach out and work with them, but this was her first chance to actually go and be with people in person, which is pretty exciting. And then um, Ishni is our training coordinator, and she uh, she was there primarily to work with three other language communities who... Um, are launching their own Bible translation movements. The southeast of Lake Victoria Diocese of the Lutheran Church has identified that Bible translation work in these language communities is a key for reaching the language communities with the gospel and has invited Lutheran Bible translators to partner alongside their ministry entrepreneurs to put God's Word in their hands. And so that's what uh, Ishni was there to to facilitate the beginning of some of that work. So uh, a couple different things going on there. We hope that you can uh, catch all that as we interview, but it was a great conversation with both Ruthie and Ishni, and I think you're going to really love it. All right, we're on the line today with Ruthie Wagner and Ishni Veit, who both recently spent some time in Tanzania with our crew and our partners doing some awesome stuff, and we're here to talk about that and unpack it a little bit. So welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So for a little bit of a background for our listeners, Ishni, you've been on the podcast before, but Ruthie, this is your first time. Woohoo! Yay. Um, Yay. We want to give our listeners a bit of a a backstory for you guys. Neither of you are new to Bible translation ministry, but this trip that you were just on in Tanzania had a little bit of a different take, a little bit of a newness to it. So a little bit of background for our listeners. What roles did you serve in previously before um, this trip to Tanzania and your new roles? I served with Lutheran Bible translators in Sierra Leone for about six years as translation advisor to the Temne Old Testament project. And I'm the training coordinator now, but prior to that, I served for 10 years with Lutheran Bible translators in Botswana, as project coordinator 
and exegete for the Woyei Bible Translation Project. And then uh, Ruthie, of course, has a lot of overseas experience prior to that, too. Just tell the listeners, since it's your first time on, a little bit about your background and where you came from. Sure. I'm a third-generation missionary. My parents and grandparents were missionaries in Bangladesh. And so I felt the call to missions while I was in Bible school and joined LBT back in 2007 and have been with LBT off and on since then. And so served in Sierra Leone for several years and now am working remotely from Minnesota. So Ruthie has the distinction of being the the one person still in Lutheran Bible translators who went to school at the same time as me. And uh, we, (laughs) as the Lutherans, got assigned to projects all together. So we had a lot of fun back in the day. But yeah, great to have you on. So your previous roles, both in Sierra Leone and in Botswana, you had a relationship in the community by living in the community. And things have uh, shifted a little bit as you are now both located in the U.S. So in as you were preparing for this trip to Tanzania, what kind of work did you need to do beforehand regarding maybe relationships or just preparing for the content of the workshop? Well, for me... The main thing I had to do was remind myself that I haven't built a relationship with these people and just be prepared to go in as a guest and as a learner. I'm used to, in my time in Botswana, I did a lot of training with various groups in Botswana and from Zambia, Zimbabwe and Mozambique. And and with those groups, I, I worked with them for years um, as a guest lecturer with the Word for the World at translator training there. And so I sort of had a, I had a relationship with those students. I had spent at that point, like by the end of it, I had, I had gotten to know them over the course of years. And so there were things that I did in my teaching with those students that were based on, on the intimacy of that relationship and the knowledge of their languages that I had gained over those years. But this was completely fresh and completely new. Um, And even though two of the languages that were involved in the workshop that I was a part of were Bantu languages, so there were some similarities with languages I'd worked with before, one of them was not. And so I, I really had to come in with the humility of a learner. Yeah, and I think we should mention this was, for both of you, the first time in Tanzania, right? I mean, Ruthie, you've been working with the crew a little bit, right? But had not been to Tanzania before. That's right. And what kind of work have you been doing with them before before the trip here? Yeah. While I hadn't been familiar with the larger Tanzania context, um, I have been working remotely teaching the Kareway translation team for the past several months. Uh, we've been building relationships over Zoom and WhatsApp and YouTube So this was a continuation on that teaching and the first face-to-face meeting, which was pretty fun. I I met them, but I felt like I had known them already for quite some time. And there was a lot of joy in in meeting one another in person. Yeah. And let's, again, just to make sure our listeners are tracking with us, who were you all working with here? Who are the they we keep talking about on the ground there in Tanzania? We were working with the Lutheran Church in Tanzania. There's the ELVD and the SELVD. They're two dioceses of the Lutheran Church in Tanzania. And they, I was a part of a workshop with three different language communities in which the church there is exploring beginning translation work. The Sumbwa, the Kara, and the Taturu dialect. 
spoken by the Datoga people. And I was working with the Karewe Bible Translation Project, which is on Ukarewe Island on Lake Victoria. Right. Yep. And the LV and those uh, acronyms is Lake Victoria. So east of Lake Victoria Diocese and southeast of Lake Victoria Diocese, which mm-hmm. are very aptly descriptor names of where they are located. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so you guys were in the... Uh, did you get to go on the island, Ruthie, for the Karewe part? Yeah, I was. I spent the week on the island. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as you were traveling, and so you had Ishni, you were like, okay, I'm going in as a guest, but I've got this previous facilitating role to, to draw from. And Ruthie, you were building relationships. I love that, you know, using what you have of YouTube and Zoom and that it just made it that much sweeter meeting in person. But you had... Uh, some foundation to to work from of building those relationships. But when you got to Tanzania, your role was very specific in each of your your different contexts. Can you share a little bit about what the, the purpose of the trip was in your role? So for the workshop that I was a part of, the goal of this workshop was to work with potential translator candidates from each of the three language communities to get to know them, to explore the concept of Bible translation with them a bit, and to give representatives of the church an opportunity to observe these translator candidates and to see who they might invite to a future workshop to further refine their list of candidates for uh, translation work. And so it wasn't so much a training as it was a, a conversation and a get-to-know-you experience. And so it was very different from anything I'd ever done before. I kind of laughed after I prepared the first day's worth of PowerPoints because it was like a full day's worth of slides, but only one of the slides contained any information. (laughs) The rest were questions. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was a series of questions. I decided to go into this with, rather than assuming that you know, I had information that they needed and I needed to give it to them or else they wouldn't have it. It's you know, My thinking on, on how translation training should happen is, is changing over time. And one of the things that has been uh, sort of bubbling up in my consciousness recently is the idea that, that people who live in multilingual contexts spend their entire lives translating. Mm-hmm. And so they bring a lot of they already have well-developed ideas of how translation is done because they do it. They just do it usually orally, uh, which is fantastic. And they know what good translation is because they they try to do that every day. And so I, rather than saying, this is what translation is and this is how it's done, and these are the things that you need to know, I decided to go in and say, what are your thoughts about these things? Because, you know, no one person knows everything anyway. I am not the, the source of all knowledge. <laughs> knowledge is, is owned by community and comes from dialogue in community. So, yeah, this was a, this was a new experience for me, and it was, it was really rewarding. It was so great to, to hear people sharing with one another and learning from one another and just being able to stand back and, and, and watch that happening. 
when you when you did that and sort of set the stage for this is how we're going to do things was there like an adjustment period where people kind of came expecting that you they were going to sit and listen and and so it was like or did it just fairly naturally develop into the conversations you were hoping for it happened a lot faster yeah than than i would have expected i there are patterns of education that people are used to depending on their experience and in, i know in some contexts that i've been in on the continent of Africa, different different countries and different sub-communities within those countries will have different education experiences. So I couldn't tell if what I was going to experience was that sort of person standing at the front makes everyone sit there and listen, or whether people will, people were genuinely going to feel free right. to to respond. And people seemed to feel really free to respond. And yeah, it was very natural. I was, I was really thankful for that. Now the fear that some, you know, educators may have, and I'm not asking you to speak on behalf of them, but might be like, okay, so they talked a lot, but did you learn anything or, you know, was an objective met? How do you kind of respond to that? I would say the objective from my perspective was more than met. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, there, there's always a chance that someone is going to say something that you're like, <laughs> how am I going to correct that? <laughs> but it, it, you know, I find that it's, it's not my job to police people's perspectives, I don't think. Right. And I, I find that if somebody says something that is not what we want people to be getting, or that I would not want people to be getting, I'm not going to be alone in that. There's a room full of people right. who will feel free to also say, I'm not sure that I agree with that. And so there, there, there was very little of that, but there was some of that. But the thing that, you know, take for example, I'm going to give you an example of something where things went far beyond what I would have anticipated, but it was fantastic. Starting with just what is a quality translation? So we typically, and by we, I mean myself and some of my colleagues that I know about, have typically gone into a a situation, a translation training, where we say these are the qualities of a good translation. Mm -hmm. And usually there's a short list of it's it's ABC, accurate, beautiful, clear, or it's it's clear, accurate, natural, and and acceptable. And it's like we're telling people like we're telling them something new. And I decided not to do that. Mm -hmm. I I asked the question, what is a good translation? How can you tell when a good translation has happened? What is a good translation? And so people's hands were popping up and they were saying all sorts of stuff. And and I took a, a picture of what we wrote on the board from that. And, okay, so first of all, they said all of those things mm-hmm. at one point or another. But they said other things that I would not have said myself. And when I looked at what they had said, I kind of went, yeah, like they're saying something that we don't normally say. And not only that, the focus shifted from the quality of the translation to the quality of the translator. Wow. So they were talking about rather than saying, you know, the translation is understandable, which people did say, or the meaning is clear, which people did say. They said the one doing the translation is spiritual. The one doing the translation has wisdom. The one doing the translation is presentable. I mean, there was a whole series of things that 
aren't in our basic list of what makes a good translation. But their focus was on the translator, which is, as I told them at the time, I said, you know, this has been a shift in the field of translation studies over the last few decades, where the shift is from focusing on the text to focusing on the translator. I said, so, you know, you all in 20 minutes got where it's taken the field of translation studies decades (laughs) to get to. So that was really rewarding for me and uh, hopefully affirming for them as well. Now, you know, the with the More Than Words campaign, we've been focusing on the idea of equipping uh, ministry entrepreneurs, right, folks that have that vision for mission and ministry. And uh, I think that also speaks then to some of the work you're doing, Ruthie, in terms of uh, an existing project that's being driven by the church with some folks and, and with some passion that needs to be focused. So talk a little bit about what you were there to do, what you've been doing remotely, and then and then yeah, uh, your in-person objectives. Yeah. So it was my first time in Tanzania. And so for the first few days, I was there to get to know our partners there, the church, the pastors, and the various leaders that are involved with the projects. And, and of course, observe Eshne as she facilitated the three language workshop, which was a pleasure. I got to teach one afternoon there, but which was fun. But my primary role was with the Kurewe team on Okurewe Island. So I am officially a remote translation advisor in that project. And my my primary task is to develop and teach a course that I've called Relevant Bible Translations. And, and with that, I'm also working to mentor the exegete on the team to hopefully work into a translation advisor role for his project and possibly others. So how far along is that project then? And where are you kind of stepping in with them as they're on their journey? Yeah, the New Testament, they have several books of the New Testament done, the Gospels and Acts, and and then they have Jonah done and they're working on the Pentateuch. Hopefully they, they're hoping that'll be completed next year. So it's fairly early on in the project. It's a whole Bible project. And so there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. The translators are very early actually in their training. They had a bit of software training and kind of some basic training, but I was brought in to do some more in-depth teaching um, for them for this project. So as you were walking alongside four different language communities and each of them having different expectations, but also this this unified goal of God's word in their own language and that the community is able to not only understand, but to, to share and be transformed by scripture. So what are some of the unique joys and challenges that you saw or heard discussed in your, your different conversations with these teams? What are they facing? I could speak to the Kareway team specifically. I just see them really enjoying kind of a learning explosion that's come through this course I'm teaching. Nice. It's really, it's really cool to hear them say, wow, we've, we were never taught this before and our translations are going to be better. And, and so it's, it's exciting to come in 
so early in the stage of their translations that we can work on these these translation theories and issues and talk to them about how it relates to their project and how it relates to their work. And, you know, this is what exegesis is and how is that going to affect your first draft? And tell me how it's going to work for you. And, and so it's really exciting to see that learning happening and it's affecting their translation work positively. We had, uh, during my time there, I taught in the afternoons and in the mornings they did the consultant checking for the book of John. And even the consultant was commenting on the translation of John, how well it was translated. And so it's, I think it's really positively helping them be better prepared for consultant checking and distribution. They especially enjoy the software training, which I feel pretty excited about because that can get overwhelming for people who have never used computers prior to joining a project like this. They've never used computers. You know, they th this is the first time that they're they're interacting with software like this and they're genuinely excited and just wanted to know more. And I would ask, should we do another lesson or should we do some software training? Oh, let's do the software. You know, they're so excited. And I got to go really in depth with them. They've done a few pair text trainings in the past, but they've all been very kind of surface level training of, you know, how to draft and and I was able to get them really in depth on how to how to really check your translation for accuracy and how to teach the software your language so that it can come back with really helpful suggestions and you can use the tools more effectively because it gets to know your language. And on this trip too, we were able to download and uh, set up Logos on their computers, which was pretty exciting, especially at the end of it when they were like, this is great. We're so excited to use the software. And I said, it's not going to be too overwhelming for you to go in and find resources. And because it was still downloading all the resources, you know, and, and they were like, no, we're just really, we're excited to finally have a resource that can provide these things. Cause that's a huge, a huge need in the project is they don't have access to good resources. And, and Paratext has some, the translation software has some, but nothing like a Logos can pro provide. So that was a huge win for our time there. So in Paratext, the translation software, there's um, what you call enhanced resources where the kind of the key concepts are linked to the original languages and they, you can have dictionaries and other resources that are linked where you just click a button and then it even gets to know your language where it can tell you that you've translated it consistently or not. Wow. And it'll red flag it if you haven't. And it's, it's just really a powerful tool and really exciting to see them be able to use these tools in their, in their language and in, in English, which is amazing actually, because some of them didn't know English at all mm. <laughs> when they joined the project. Wow. One of the guys yeah. didn't know English at all. Mm. And he's been with the team for four years and he was fully involved in theoretical discussion on translation and on, it was just incredible 
incredible to to see him and and the consultant just reminded me you know not to be discouraged when i see new translators coming in and they don't know english that is something that is really not that hard for them to learn you know they're they're, they're multilingual already like they have they've already learned multiple languages so learning another language isn't as hard as what we might find <laughs> I love it. So that work with that established program, I love you talking about their excitement about a learning explosion too. That's, that's very cool. Like the, just the, that excitement for seeing vision and, and new opportunities, especially as they're already engaged in the work. So then Ishni, you were focused on these other three communities that are in a beginning process. So listeners to the podcast may have heard us talk about co-creative processes, which was my doctoral dissertation and we don't expect you to remember that but basically the general idea is you want to create space for conversations and for language communities to to be able to really contribute into what's going to happen in their language so talk about again some of the where those language communities are at and how that informed uh, your approach so what we did was as I as I mentioned, I had a series of questions. Rather than providing information and saying this is how translation works, uh, this is what translation is. I came with questions, and along with those questions, it wasn't just myself and members of the community, or myself and uh, church representatives and members of the community. The church provided some pastors to be scribes for this event, so the role of the scribe was to make note of what it was that people from each language group were saying in response to the question. So essentially what we were doing was exploring with members of the language community aspects of their community, specific to their community, that are relevant to how the Bible translation work is going to be planned. So it's allowing data that's being elicited from people in that intense context to be recorded and then used to inform decisions uh, as the project goes forward. So, for example, one of the things that we talked about later in the week was the stages of translation. So there are, ba there are four basic stages that translation typically goes through. And the way that we would normally present it is we would say, at the core, there's the at stage one, there's a translator. And then there at stage two, there's a translation team and it contains these specific people. And then at stage three, it it's the like community review. And it, these are the, the people you would have at this stage. And then stage four, we would normally describe it as a consultant check. Right. <laughs> right. But I decided not to do that this time. I described the four stages differently. And at each stage, I asked the members of each community who they thought would be appropriate to invite at that stage. Nice. And so for, uh, you know, at the first stage, the translator, obviously, it's it's a person. You know, we talked about what are some things that are easier to do by yourself? What are some things that are easier to do together? And so it was obvious if you're drafting, you can't draft with someone else holding your hand. That's just counterproductive. So stage one, you do by yourself. But stage two, where you get other translators and the exegete, you're working together to help each other see things you might have missed. But then the external review, I asked who in the community would be interested in the quality of the translation. 
and they started to list different people. So the scribes were at the front and they're making a note of everything that people are saying. So rather than us saying for your community review stage, stage three, go out and look for these sorts of people, they now have a list of what these representatives of the community say are the people who should be invited. Mm -hmm. So this is, it's, it's not just my perspective as a representative of LBT. It's not just the church's perspective as the managing partner in country, mm -hmm. but it's also the perspective of members of the community reflected through the people who were present at the workshop. And then for the final stage, and this was the most exciting, I never used the C word the whole time. <laughs> I just called it expert review. And I said, who are the experts? What kind of expertise do you think would be helpful to someone to make the quality of a translation better? What kind of experts should we look for in your community? You know, yeah. and I did talk about people who are experts in translation because they've been involved with it somewhere else, but I didn't make that the focus. That's a perspective that we bring. We bring the idea of consultant to the community, but it isn't the only perspective that is relevant as to who are the experts in a community or in among the partnership who need to be involved in the final review process. So that's, that's how co-creative processes were involved in this workshop. This is really a great point to, to emphasize for our listeners. So many folks still think about Lutheran Bible translators, particularly going to be, you're going to have a missionary that's resident in a location, and that's really what it takes to do it, right? And so I think we want to talk some about, yeah, the objectives of the trip you just finished, and what happens, but, you know, is there another trip at, at some point, and what sort of is the, like, what determines that, if you have some knowledge about that? But what happens between now and then as well? There's kind of, th those pieces of information would be great to, to pull out somehow. So for the, the trip, like you just, you just finished this trip and talk about some of your objectives as you went, what is next and what, what will determine like, okay, we need to go back for uh, a little bit and what's going to happen between now and then again, for the listeners who maybe would just kind of think of Bible translation as missionaries go and live somewhere and, and do all of this. That's not what's happening here. So how does this work? So for my role in particular, it's, it's kind of a new approach that we're doing, working remotely as a translation advisor, teaching over WhatsApp and recording YouTube videos and sending them. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting and seeing how this works and what works about it, what doesn't work about it. We discussed it some over this trip, actually, we discussed it a lot of, of you know, the difference between virtual learning and in-person learning. And uh, the main the main takeaway from it was that they wanted more review virtually, but that the virtual is going well. They just like the face-to-face -face better. They're, they kept saying, we're Africans. Yeah, <laughs> we, sure. like, we like the face-to-face -face a lot better, but, you know, we'll take the virtual. We're benefiting from the virtual. And we'll just kind of see how it how it works because this training that I'm doing, it kind of came out of it came out of you know my husband and I were in Sierra Leone, and we had four evacuations, and so it went from me realizing I'm not going to be on the ground all the time to help these translators, and so I really want to train 
them and help them equip them so that they can do this project on their own. And that's really the goal here with the Crayway team. And so, and the training is focused less on maybe the accuracy and more on the naturalness and relevancy of the translation. Like the Bible is already relevant. How do we make it so that it's also relevant in their language? Mm -hmm. And that's a huge question that comes up regularly in our training. And while we have good consultants in place, helping check for the accuracy of the translation, the naturalness and the relevancy of the translation can only come it comes through the creative work of the translator and is tested by the community. The consultant really can't test the naturalness of the translation. And so we hope that this training will equip the translators in the skills and the confidence that they need to to be able to work in their roles, to produce a to produce a translation in their language that they feel confident is is natural, is relevant to their community. And and a lot of that is being done virtually. And going forward, we will need to have continue to have face to face that that was, you know, clearly stated while I was there that, you know, they want me to come back, um, but that I don't have to come back as frequently as what, you know, we might think they would want, you know, a couple times a year or something like that. Uh, it, you know, the discussion is still in the works, but that the virtual is going well and that they are happy to settle with the virtual because it encourages them to own the process themselves. And the main lead in their team is a lo local Karewe speaker. And that's great for the team to be able to continue to own the project themselves. And, and while a missionary on the ground may be helpful it's not always possible in these difficult contexts we found that in Sierra Leone it wasn't possible for us to live there anymore and so yeah I'm just hoping that the the translation team will will feel confident and will feel equipped to translate naturally in into their language and how about you Ishni so as you're continuing on as the training coordinator and your roles are not only assisting our staff members and missionaries, but also international partnerships. What's next for you? Will you be traveling back to Tanzania again, or is it on to other locations? I believe that I will be, but not this year. And part of the reason for that is that the regional director who is working with our partners in Tanzania, Sarah Esela, she has a real vision for a team approach to working with translation projects. And historically, there's been a tendency to have, you know, one missionary, one project, and they are the locus of all of the planning and the they develop these really deep relationships and they learn the language super well. And it's like they are the go-to person for that project. And what we've found over the years there are still places where that's appropriate. And when it works, it works. But if COVID taught us anything is that you can't have everything centered in one person anymore. It's just not good business sense. You need to have a variety of people involved and in building relationships and supporting one another. And this, this event, this training that I was a part of, it, there, were, uh, there were six of us from LBT and there were more than that 
from the Lutheran Church. So it was a real team effort. And so for the next event, which is Lord willing planned for August, there will be different people from LBT present. There will be some faces that are the same. There are some faces that are different. And that helps to inject different perspectives and different skill sets and different voices into the process. And it keeps it from being a a monolith Mm -hmm. of support and perspective. And so I really appreciate that Sarah's doing that. And I'm 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 glad to plug into that when and as needed. And I did have some interactions there with the head of the Bible college that was adjacent to where we were staying in in Mwanza about some potential future things that I won't get into because that's mm. <laughs> that's just brainstorming. Sure. But there were some really exciting possibilities that emerged at a tea time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and isn't that always the way? That's right. You, know? yep. <laughs> you sit there with a cup of a cup of tea and a chapati, and next thing you know, <laughs> partnerships are built. So yeah, but now that I'm back from Tanzania, I'm I'm back to some of the other areas where I'm working, and there is some some overlap there with Tanzania. What's going to happen next, and is that something that was already kind of pre-planned, or it's kind of unfolding based out of what happened this time, or how does that how what's the next step, and how did that get determined, or is it how is it being determined? Well, what's going to happen, as far as I understand it, between the event that just took place and August, is the people who are working with the language communities from the Lutheran Church in Tanzania will be continuing to dialogue with the community and continuing to work with the people who were present at the workshop. And they will be discerning who should come to the next workshop. And so rather than making all of the decisions about who the translation team will be, they're allowing time for prayer, for discernment, and for dialogue before making the next step. And so they will be investigating some of the things that were raised during this workshop we just held. There were a lot of a lot of things that people said that raised some questions that showed that there was further investigation that needed to be done in certain areas. And so this gives the church time to really look into those before making any big decisions, such as who is the translation team going forward? Yeah, it just gives them that space to do that. It's awesome. How can we be praying for those uh, translation teams then? Yeah, as they as they do that work, what comes to mind? You were just there with them in person and saw what things look like. I think prayers for wisdom are always good. Prayers for wisdom for uh, the members of the church and the members of the language community who are trying to discern who the translation team should be. The translation team is the core translators and project workers that work every day, every day of the week, except the Sabbath, <laughs> and and also who who to invite from the rest of the community to be involved in other parts of the translation work, and encouragement for the people who were a part of this process, because even though there were 10 people from each language community present, you don't have a translation team with 10 translators on it. So not all of them will be invited to be full-time translators or um, paid members of the team. So encouragement for them, for for the ones who aren't selected in that role, and encouragement for them to find what their role is, because everyone in the community has a role in this. This is their 
translation project. God's word in their language is in their hands. And how can we be praying for the Karewe team, Ruthie? Yeah, I think pray also for wisdom for them as they go about this process. It's it's heavy work. And while they're incredibly skilled at what they do, they still face tremendous challenges. Like for, for example, one of the discussions that kept coming up while we were there is that their Bible, their translation would inevitably look different from the Swahili versions that are out there. And and what were they going to do about it? People people would be upset about it. People were, were not going to accept certain decisions that they were making because it doesn't look like the English or it doesn't look like the Swahili. And it raises concerns that they are bringing to the community and to try to make decisions. And we had good discussions about the Bible in in their as their Karewe Bible, uh, unique to their people and language, um, that this might be challenging for some to accept, but uh, we hope that it communicates a positive message that God speaks their language and knows them mm-hmm. and and that their Bible isn't going to look like the Swahili. It's not going to look like the English because their language is unique. And and so that's just one one sort of discussion that has come out is they're they're facing not just the the challenges of their translation, but also uh, these discussions that are coming out in the community, what to do about them, and how to move forward so that the Bible will be accepted and what sort of training needs to happen alongside distribution that says, this is, this is a unique Bible. (laughs) You can't just compare it to another one and expect it to look the same. (laughs) Yeah. So prayer, prayer for that. And also just, they just got a lot of a huge information dump and while they're excited about it, it's going to take several works of review and, um, a lot of follow up to to the the workshop that we had to make sure that you know they're really understanding the material and that um, they're getting what they want out of it. So just pray for that and pray for uh, wisdom as I interact with them on those topics. That's great. All right. This has been a lot of fun. We've been talking with Ruthie Wagner and Ishni Veit, both recently back from Tanzania, working with some of our language communities, partners in the Lutheran Church there. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, ladies. Well, Emily, you could probably tell I was excited to be in that conversation with Ruthie and Ishni, both really uh, doing some great stuff with the language communities there and investing in those visionary ministry entrepreneurial leaders of the church. And I just really loved how both of them work in a way that creates space for dialogue and is really leaning into the leadership that's already there, the vision that's already there, and and authentically coming alongside that to say, let's capitalize on that to launch a Bible translation movement that 
is just what this particular language community needs. Mm -hmm. It really is encouraging to see how God is working in Tanzania and around the world in these partnerships to be able to see how when we partner together as a unified church, how he is working, the Holy Spirit is working in and through these uh, ministry entrepreneurs, these leaders to make his word known. And we want to encourage you all that uh, you can be part of this ministry. You can be part of the Bible translation movement and you can find more information on Lutheran Bible Translators Partnerships at lbt.org slash programs. You'll see a list there and we want to encourage you as God is moving, that you would click on one of those language programs, that you would read about them, that you would pray alongside them, that if Lord, the Lord is leading you to support them financially, that you would be able to see more details on how you can do that. So again, want to encourage you to visit lbt.org slash programs. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is produced and edited by Andrew Olson. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork was designed by Caleb Rodewald and Sarah Rodowski. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Rodowski. So long for now. <laughs>